Whatever door you open in my brain, I want you to shut it now. Okay. I'll do it. Okay. I can do that. Close your eyes. Read the letters now. You're right up next to me. Tom, look at the screen. Wow. What? What happened? Are you okay? I think you need to sit down, Tom, because what was happening there was very next level. You should have seen your face. Do you want a beer? Are you feeling better? What happened? I'm supposed to dig. Listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And he was here a minute ago, guys, but he was acting real funny, saying he'd been at some sort of social event and somebody hypnotized him. I, who knows? I, I mean, hopefully he's going to be back momentarily, uh, a little more clear-headed than he was when he was on, uh, but, but we'll find out soon enough. While he tends to that, allow me to welcome you back to our current series in the morning phase one dubbed remnant. Yes. Even our series have series, Steve Beckley. You're welcome. We began in the morning, a corporate discussion of learning how to lose with infinity war and then covered a ghost story. Last week, we featured guest and friend of the fog, Bill Oberst Jr. To talk about the changeling this week. Another friend is going to join us for our film conversation, but all of this is backboned by a TV guideposts. That's right. Series within series within series. We are inceptioning you with series. This TV guidepost is for HBO's The Leftovers. But I'm getting ahead of myself because uh, here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now, when I explain that you can find The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform and on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, wherein you will find episode archives and merch, including cell phone cases, t-shirts, campaign buttons, face masks. They're meant for others, not for you. Magnets, pillows, read! You... <laughs> okay, you're gonna you look at the screen, and uh, it's got... I can't remember what the word is that's on it, but just look at the screen. You're gonna float towards the screen... And bark like a dog. Okay. Just go and bark like a dog. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. And you're back. And hey. Oh, hey. 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 <laughs> What'd you do to me? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Welcome back, brother. Um, Hi. Uh, 
you know, I want to ask, like, if you've ever been hypnotized, but we'll get to that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Riri, hey, we've got a new bit. We've got a new bit. We do? We do. We do. Yeah, (gasps) I have been thinking of a way. I I give you a little heads up here. I've been thinking of a way to institute a kind of call to action segment uh, for our listeners. So I don't know if this is going to work out the way we want it to, but I did enlist some help. Okay. Hang on. Okay. I'm I'm ready. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Let's see. Business section. Ooh, la, la. What do we got here? (laughs) (laughs) I love the dramatic pause where we both just kind of hope the VFX, the post-production team gets their crack together and does what they're going to do. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, yes. All right. We are doing a call to action moment right now. Listeners, this is for you. Viewers, this is for you. We want you to do a couple of things. We're going to rattle them off, not in short order, because we just don't do things that way. But the very first one, Reed, we're going to we're gonna do a little quid pro quo. We're going to do a little, yeah, I said it. We're okay. going to do a little barter here, okay? We are going to trade a thing. We don't <laughs> right. trade lives, but we will. No. Trade, we will trade stickers. So we are. <laughs> it took you a second there. So, listener, viewer, I'm going to be real frank here. We want your email address. Uh, it's, it's, we're three years into this thing. We're way behind the eight ball on acquiring this from you, but we want your email address and we're not above bartering for it. Again, stickers, <laughs> not lives, but go to the website, thefearofgodpodcast.com, where it says subscribe on the front page. It's right there. Put your email there and hit enter or whatever button that is otherwise <laughs> synonymed enter. Um, if you've already done this, thank you, Brent and Vera McDougal and Beckley. Y'all are just your foggers for life. Um, so we're going to be checking this. Once you are in, we are going to email you for a mailing address and mail you a fear of God. It's a live sticker designed by Jacob Hunt. Pretty cool, right, Reed? So like, I love it. Free, no, free, I'm, I'm excited. free stuff. So yes. listeners, Look call to, to action one is give us your email address and we will give you a sticker. So please go to the website right now. Beetlejuice says so. Go to the website, hit, put your email address in the field, hit subscribe, and we'll get in touch with you and give you a sticker. Free stickers. Reed, what do you have? Make it happen. Uh, the other thing that we need your participation on is because we are now in the third episode of this series. Um, in two more episodes, we're going to be closing down this phase of our series, and we're going to be pivoting back to 2020-2020, that series where we count down your top favorite horror films of every year of the 2000s, um, and we are up to 2009 and 2010. I can't believe it. So we need your participation. It's already been available. Call to action here is to go to the fearofgodpodcast.com to click on the little banner at the top to take the survey. It'll take you to a splash page where you can vote for your favorite horror films of 2009 and 2010. We will count down the top 10 of those results on an episode in just a couple of weeks. So there is not much time left to vote. So call to action number two is go to the website, fearofgodpodcast.com. Follow the banner at the top to lead you to the 2009 and 2010 surveys where you can cast your votes for your favorite horror films from that year for our next editions of 2020. 2020 next yes call to action one stickers for emails call to action two vote in life 
and in fog life. Okay. I do love that. You're like, I can't believe it's 2009, 2010 already. We just started the series at the beginning of the year. It really does feel like it's been 10 years since the beginning of 2020. So it makes perfect sense. The third one, Riri, we are taking audience engagement to the next level for us, at least. So we are not going to do a formal whatcha watching this fear of God episode, you guys, but the audience engagement and the, the call to action. Number three right here is about what you're watching. So, I am going, they're going to, their minds are going to be blown when we name drop them right here. If they listen to this episode, <laughs> Asia and J Mark Schwartz and Truber really hope I got that last name, right? Uh, one, y'all are awesome. Uh, two, you inspired this. So thank you. And you're welcome. Um, guys, we want you to record yourself, your family, your kids, your dog, your church choir, someone important to you singing. What you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Read. How does it go, real quick, so they so they know it. How does it go? What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Listening to? Go crazy. Have fun. <laughs> it's it, don't make it super long. But yes, we are going to start using listener recorded versions of what you're watching, reading, listening to on the show. Okay, post production crew. Just there. We just gave them a raise, hardcore. Like there, there's a lot of work <laughs> cut out for post crew we doubled um, their nothing we did, salary we did, we did. <laughs> um so we want you to record that use your voice memo on your phone something simple something easy email it to fear of god podcast at gmail.com email your recorded version of what you're watching read and listen to to fear of god podcast at gmail.com that's exciting i'm really 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 looking forward to hearing some uh audience participation on that one so emails for stickers subscribe get a sticker vote Record yourself, your friends, your loved ones, your enemies, uh, your grandma, your animals, whatever, singing what you're watching. What do you got left, Reed? There's a, this is a good one. Okay, so this is one of my favorites, and I can't believe uh, I'm very excited to announce it right now. So we are starting an official in just uh, a, a few weeks, several weeks, we are going to be starting the official Fear of God book club, which book club! I am... <laughs> Didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't either. So, um, That's how most so yes. of my life goes. <laughs> the official Fear of God book club is going to have our first entry. We all know that we've enjoyed uh, the works of Stephen King along the way. We've also covered a couple of short stories here and there, but we're going to formalize it a little bit into the Fear of God book club, and we are going to inaugurate this Fear of God book club with a special conversation about a novel that is not a Stephen King book. Um, we are, in fact, in light of the upcoming debut of the HBO miniseries Lovecraft Country, we are going to be having a conversation with the author of the novel, Lovecraft Country, Matt Ruff. We want to send a special thank you to Blake Collier of the 88 Names podcast and friend of the show for uh, introducing us to Matt, and Matt graciously agreed to come onto the show. So that's going to be happening in a few weeks. We wanted to announce it now so you have time to acquaint yourself with the book. It's readily accessible. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, So locate the book, Lovecraft Country, by Matt Ruff, Read it to prepare for the conversation, but even more than that, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we've shored up all of our dots for this. I believe we have. If you will like and, and, and share like we've done with the t-shirts before. Shares, if, not likes. If you will yes, share, shares. Not likes. If you will share the, our episode, um, our show, to the Facebook Fear of God social media platforms, you will automatically be entered into a drawing for 
the chance to earn an autographed copy of Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff himself, graciously offered to us. To clarify, us. don't share it to us. We already know what we're doing. They need to share it oh, out. That's good. Yes, yes, yes. It's okay. Yes, it's yes, like, yes, a, it's yes. like a grandpa talking about social media. With, I don't have a script, okay? This is, listen, I make I this stuff Sorry. up as I go along. Um, Get down. So, <laughs> How does this stuff work again? Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, uh, don't share it with us. Share it yeah. with everybody else. Share yes. it with all your friends. And if we, but now you need to tag us because yeah. if you share it and we don't know about it, then we, we can't enter you into the drawing. No right? entry. No entry. <laughs> so, um, if you share it with your friends on your social media platforms and tag us in it, we will capture that and we will enter you into a drawing for an autographed copy of Lovecraft Country by Matt That's Ruff, awesome. all in preparation for that conversation that we're going to be having with him in just a handful of weeks. So, acquaint yourself with the book. Um, share it to social media, and we're really excited for the official book Fear club. Of God Riri. Book this club. Is, this is like it's almost like we're starting a new series in the middle of a series with the <laughs> level of audience engagement we just asked for. It's like crazy. we've never gone that hardcore. So it's nuts. Uh, email. We're gonna email. give you a sticker. It's free. It's free. All you gotta do is just put your we're email gonna in. We're, gonna, you. we're yeah. gonna spam the hell out of you. Now, <laughs> Whoa! No, <laughs> not, at that, no. not at all. Not at all. Um, <laughs> we will. Um, <laughs> Wow, uh, we're not for a sticker. Free, we, we're going to give you a sticker. Just give us your email address. It's it's going to lead to things. We're just trying to expand the fog footprint, you guys, and and y'all are are key to doing that. Oh, so man. email for sticker, vote because we need that. We need to know what you liked in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, Otherwise, some of you already you know, have. We're but just we going to pick one. Reed's going to take that hat off and pull some entries out. Um, and then the audience, what you watching? I cannot wait. I'm excited to hear what back. that happens. Like, yes. Come on, you guys. Mobilize. Record something. I know some of you are like, got some talent. You've been like, man, these guys are really bad singers. That's fine. This is your chance to mm-hmm. sort of show your stuff. Uh, and lastly. Email it to us. Yes. Lastly, acquire or come upon some means of reading Lovecraft Country. Get ready for that conversation and share to your various feeds, tagging us for your mm-hmm. entries to win. That has been our first call to action segment. Definitely not our last. Uh, Reed, you want to take us out of that? It's your let's, turn. Let's put the guy back in the box. Let's do it. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's showtime. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. oh, all we, right. We rarely move that quickly. I, I just, I'm trying. It's, a fair it's point. like this. It's like this. You know, tension between clarity and efficiency. Okay. And I never achieve that. I always no. fail at that tension. <laughs> um, Truth. Read. Don't don't do that. Um, <laughs> you're like true. It's true. You fail. Um, read. Nathan. <clears throat> While I look for my notes on, on where we're going in today's TV guideposts, scrolling and scrolling, we return to. Mapleton, New York, for HBO, speaking of HBO, The Leftovers, starring a bunch of people featuring sad things. Today, discussing episodes five, called Gladys, and six, called Guest. We explore, and maybe explain, before... Ah, (laughs) screw it. On to the show. Read! We are... (laughs) That was a... Man, how funny would it have been in like the old guy post days if you were if you were flipping through it and everything, and then suddenly it was just like, oh, screw it, screw it, just <laughs> forget it, just push play. <laughs> um, jeez, read Dude. this. Oh my god, Gladys. 
What? I skipped it. I skipped it. I skipped it. You didn't watch it? No, 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 no. I skipped the scene. Oh, the scene's awful. So it's terrible. For three years, we have been covering horror films with some pretty graphic and violent stuff in it. I think the Mm -hmm. death of Guilty Remnant member Gladys is the most graphic and horrific thing I think we have ever covered on the show. It is awful. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, it's it's brutal. And I remember the first time I watched through that show. It's awful. It's, it's terrible. It, it's, it's brutal. Br- it's malicious. It's, it's bloody. It's malevolent. It's nasty. It's gr- it's gross. That ain't right. It's nauseating. That ain't right. Um, I remember when I watched through the show the first time, and that moment happened. And I I can't remember what I texted you because it was years ago. But I remember I texted you something. I was like, oh my god, like like I'm what? Oh, I what did I? That. Oh, I don't remember that. Come on now. <laughs> I know you. I know your memory. You don't remember no text I oh, sent you. <laughs> so why do you think I, I had uh, to reiterate the call to action so many times so I'd remember what we're asking them? <laughs> so I um, can remember having a visceral reaction to that, and that was the moment that you had identified for me that critics of the show or the show's first season pointed to, you know that that it was very dour in tone, that it was really yeah. heavy, and. Moments like the death of Gladys are a lot of what they pointed to of like, man, this is this is just so, so morose. And um, yeah, it it, Brutal. it uh, awful. It's awful. Terrible. It's awful. Terrible. Yeah. So for listeners who haven't watched that show, a member of the guilty remnant is kidnapped, tied to a tree and stoned to death. And they linger on the moment far longer than you would expect them to. Um, it's, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it's really rough. It's- Yes, and I would not blame anyone for skipping it. Um, Indeed. So this episode, Reed, in real life, do you think you would, this is, I, I loved uh random pivot here. I loved Bill's question last week, and, and it really, I love how it like threw us. Do you remember the justice question? The Carmichael? Uh, and both of us <laughs> we were, were like, totally oh. not prepared. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, He's just We're asked not, us a really profound question. I yeah, yeah, I yeah. Have, I don't have this queued up. You, you want to go? <laughs> not me. Nathan, what you got? I don't know, Reed. What do you think? Oh, nothing. Oh, I'm waiting for you. That's not in the script. <laughs> Unplug him. Um. <laughs> I'm going to need to watch the movie again and come back and let you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, in the spirit of Bill here, I'm going to ask you a question. And that's, do you think you would be friends or appreciate or like Matt Jameson if he was a real person? That's a really good question. I think, I think I would like him. It is. Yeah. I think I would like him. I don't know. I don't know how, how close of friends we could be because he, he's a lot. He's a lot. He is a lot. Um, That's true. Um, I like a handful. I like the character. I like him for all of his complexity He's frustrating at times. Poor guy just does not know when to quit, as you'll see in in another episode uh, shortly. Um, but yeah, I, I I like him a lot. I don't know if we I don't know if we'd be somebody that we'd hang out a lot. I I, I don't know that that would happen. Well, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm kind of stumbling into this, even even uh, having asked the question. I think this I would is appreciate the pa- more heads up next time if you're going to just throw. <laughs> nah. Something at me. No. Nope. Okay. Are there any more surprises waiting for me? No, that's it. That was your surprise. Uh, it wouldn't be surprises if they, if, they, if I told you. Um, 
Fair, fair <laughs> point. Sorry. Really wish I had another one prepped. Um, <laughs> you know, th- to me, this is kind of the power of storytelling. I was going to say art, but I think mm. more specifically storytelling is that you are able to wrestle because because we are observing this story play out. You're able to wrestle with complexities of characters that you wouldn't really be privy to in the real world. Like sure, in the course. real, yeah. if you're, if you just know a Matt Jamison type exists in the world, probably what you're seeing is his most volatile version, right? You're, you're uh, seeing sure. the yeah. extremes that, that at least I know for myself, you, I would probably judge kind of harshly. Mm-hmm. And yet it's, it's delivery by Eccleston. Yes. It's writing by the, by the writing team. Uh, and it's, it's all of this. It's performance. I love when Kevin and Matt are in the car or I can't remember if they're in the car or Matt is a suspect in Gladys's death. And yes. Matt starts asking probing questions about wanting to see the body. And mm-hmm. Kevin just says, you realize you're a suspect, right? And without missing a yeah. beat, Chris Eccleston says, well, of course I'd like to pray for her. And it's yeah. just this, amazing moment of full clarity i mean this Mm. there's there's things you can accuse matt jameson of self lack of self-awareness is not one of them he fully yeah lives Mm -hmm. into whatever he is it reminds me a lot if you ever read these of um the beekner series beb leo beb Um, yes uh, many years ago but yes in that this is a a sequence of books by frederick beekner novels and featured a, a character named leo beb who is this pastor who runs a diploma mill so kind of shady who also has a habit of exposing himself in public but who also speaks in the most spiritual profound way ever and it's mm-hmm. you know it's the point is complex human being um, yeah of and, course and, and matt reminds me of that um what are some observations for you from this episode five? That's what we're so on. yeah. So I'll be I'll be upfront that I did not write Do down it. very much about this episode. I have literally uh, two moments that I want to point to. It's a good episode, um, although heavy at the onset. But uh, I didn't write out down very many uh, notable moments. One notable moment is the story that Matt tells about. Uh, Thomas and Jesus. It actually comes from the Gospel of Thomas, uh, which is an apocryphal work. It's not. It's not found in the Bible. Um, and then the other moment that I just am just galvanized by. I did remember it. I had mentioned. Can't remember if it was last week or the week prior that I don't have a strong memory for this season. Uh, there's only a few moments that stood out to me in a really indelible way, and one of the moments is Matt trying to eulogize Gladys in front of the guilty remnant and Lori coming out and blowing Mm. the whistle right in his face. Um, I I wrote some specific things down. I'll I'll read what I wrote, but I just... So did you write things or did you not write things? No, No, I wrote this down. Lori blowing the whistle in Matt's face is a powerful moment, one of my favorites from the whole season. The look on Matt's face, as we mentioned, stuffed with complexity... He genuinely feels like he's trying to do something that in his mind is a good thing. But of course, at the same time, he is creating a sort of violation, as it were. And Lori's reaction is such a great display of the culmination of her individual arc and how she's trying for all of the things that this guilty remnant is shady for and is questionable about. She's bought in 
Like she's yeah. fully and completely bought into it. And so him being there eulogizing Gladys is a complete violation of so much of what they're trying to achieve or talking about. And so her blowing the whistle in his face is a really affecting moment. It is a very, very powerful moment. Uh, the episode as a whole is is a bit utilitarian, as I've used before, but that moment is just powerful. And um and I love it a lot. That's that's really the extent of my notes on on episode Gladys. So I'll uh, yield. The I thought you were going to say your favorite Matt quote of the episode is "I say f- too." Wow, <laughs> I, I really what? do love that moment. <laughs> well, I just love. It's like it's, he's just trying to fit in. He's like, let you know, Kevin. I'm good. We're good. You're good. You can you can drop the f bomb if you need to. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know you're gonna bleep that, so I wasn't. No, 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 no. I know. I, I just, I had a, I had a momentary brain fart though because I thought that was in the second episode. I thought that was no. in the next episode we're doing. I didn't know that that was in Gladys. I didn't remember no. it from Gladys. I remembered it from. Uh, it's when uh, they go to. Uh, oh, because he's trying to get in touch with Kalani. That's yeah. right. He's trying to get in touch with Kalani, and he just goes off yeah. on his phone. And then, uh, yeah, and then Matt says it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Matt, yeah, that is right. No, I, I was love- jarred for a second. Yeah, it's it happens. You know, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, like Matt Jameson. I'm a lot to handle sometimes. <laughs> um, would I be friends with him? Clearly, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Jury's out. Um, <laughs> I do love that. There's a small scene late in this episode where we finally see the damn burst for Kevin emotionally, mm-hmm. where he and Jill connect in a real yeah, touching right. way. Right. 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 Um, right, right. Yeah, I, I really, I really love that. But uh, so that's episode five. Gladys is intense. Um, I, I don't know about you, but and and next week's seven and eight, like six, seven, eight. There's, this is a good run. Um, yeah, it six, is. Are you just agreeing with me because I said it, or because uh, you believe it? I'm, I'm fonder of six and eight than I am of seven. But yes, yeah, well, six, yeah. seven, eight is 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 a really great run. Just yeah. the level of just. You just dig that knife, Lackey. Would you be friends um, with Matt Jameson? <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, you've listened to Reed for three years. Would you be friends with Reed Lackey? No. <laughs> Don't answer that. Send us your emails. Send us the rest. Don't vote on answer that question. New call to action. Um, <laughs> Quick poll. <laughs> Come back, Beetlejuice. Um, so, episode six, guest. Uh, this, this, is, this is a hell of an episode. I love this episode so much. I mean, I'm I'm pretty fond of everything in this season surrounding Nora as a character. The only character that really gives Matt Jameson a run for his money in terms of my favorite character is Nora. Um, yeah, this is a fantastic episode. Guest Guest is an amazing piece of storytelling. It's it's wonderful. It's really excellent. It's not quite to the level of episode three for me. Sure, but close. It's really strong. But in terms of telling, I, I understand what you're saying, but it, it has it has resonance uh, as this sort of bottle episode. Nora works for the DSD, the Department of Sudden Departure. I think that's right. Department of Sudden Departure. Yeah, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like real committed, and then not at <laughs> she, all. She works for the DSD, which is the. <laughs> 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 ah, who knows? <laughs> Forgot that one. Um, but she's at this conference, this corporate conference, and it just gives you this sort of day in the life type of thing and where just nothing is going right, which is effectively the show writ large. <laughs> but I love how it plays with this thematic idea when she 
goes to the courthouse and formally gets her divorce. And they say, do you want to change your name too? Mm. And she says, no, I want to be Nora Durst. And I was like, yeah. man, that's it's great. A line right there. Yeah. Because it just signal, it's just screaming all these attachment issues and identity issues. And the episode's called guest, meaning mm. there's nothing, there's no identifier there. Um, and I just, I really, really loved a lot of what happens in this episode. Um, any specific things you wrote down that you want to talk about? The, so in contrast to last uh, episode, I, I wrote down at least five or six little notes here. So there's so Tell much me. characterization and metaphorical exploration in the simple choice Nora makes to pay people to shoot her. Yeah. Like that, like she wears a bulletproof vest and she's trusting that their aim will at least like they could easily hit her head with the distance that she's from them and everything like, but she pays people to shoot her with a legit gun, not like a child's BB gun or something. She pays people to shoot her while she wears a bulletproof vest. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really stunning. Just the levels of characterization, uh, that, that, that she that is brings just blowing it. through those DSD funds, by the way, <laughs> just like, <laughs> No kidding, man. You get another grand. <laughs> you like I need three thousand dollars. Okay, yeah. no okay. problem. Sure. Um. So. Uh, well, and can I comment on that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're please, moving away please. from it, one thing I love about that, and this is this is a thematic note, but it wouldn't be one I would explode out for the season, is her paying these folks to shoot her is signaling to me at least that everyone in this world is just desperate to feel something. And actually, I'll I'll mm. even caveat that. What's fascinating is. Those not GR are desperate to feel something. Those yes. GR are content to feel nothing. Mm-hmm. And and that's just mm-hmm. a real fascinating sort of tension and juxtaposition there. No, absolutely. Um, I feel like so that the main conceit of this episode is that Nora Durst is attending with her association with the DSD, which is, I don't know if you remember, Nathan, it's the, the, the <laughs> Department of <laughs> I know, I remember something, Reed. It's a knuckle um, sandwich. But, but uh, she's attending this conference that uh, presumably is annual, or, or uh, yeah, yeah, it would have to be annual. Um, I remember that much. And when she, go- <laughs> when she goes, when she first arrives, somebody has already claimed her badge, and so they have to give her a guest badge, which... Is where the title of the episode comes from. That entire plot line is amazing. It's a great bit of creative storytelling because somebody's taken her badge. She's got to assume the role of guest. And then as she's navigating through this, she's insistent that she is Nora Durst when the hotel, uh, somebody, this, this person who she believes is impersonating her. Suddenly, the hotel says, like, okay, Nora Durst, you smashed hotel property, so you're off the premises and everything. And she's like, no, somebody's impersonating me. Somebody's pretending to be me. I'm supposed to be on a panel. And I just love the entire development of Plotline. This show has already played with unsolved mysteries and random disappearances like her badge. So it's played with all of these different ways that don't always get resolved in a really concrete way. So when... After all of this back and forth, she swears somebody's impersonating her, and she's like, the, the person's probably on my panel right now, and the hotel proprietor or the head of security or whatever is like, okay, if we go there and nobody is on your panel impersonating you, then 
you leave these premises and we never see you again. And I was fully convinced first time through. I remembered it from this time around, but I was fully convinced the first time through. I was like, they're going to go and there ain't going to be nobody there. And she's going to be in this big existential crisis, not really knowing what to do with herself. So when she goes there and there is straight up somebody impersonating, yes, impersonating Nora uh, Durst. And then the hotel security guy's like, <sighs> like I guess we got to do something about this, and uh, it's just it's just really galvanizing. I I love that moment. Um, I love everything well, about that plot. To line. your point about the creativity in, inherent there, that this episode does a ton of heavy lifting for this show mm, because yes. not just is it a brilliant kind of creative choice, this kind of identity thing. Uh, it's also a great, as you're illustrating, character choice. What it plunges Nora who relies solely on her identifiers for meaning. Uh, It also does a ton of world building for the show. It does. As you remove her identifiers, people are speaking into her and we're learning about the world by her sort of absence of person. Yes. It's great. So it's just really, really a great sort of position. And I'll throw this out. Maybe you disagree with me. I don't know. Um, As much as I dislike the Wayne aspects of this season. I love his usage in this one. Can I read you my exact note? As much as I despise the Holy Wayne plot line, that scene with Nora is pretty dang powerful. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's exactly because again, it also, you know, Lindelof loves his sort of Rashomon type of storytelling. Right. But you also not just does it re energize you perhaps or energize you for the first time to the Wayne storyline. It also gives you a whole new view on the character. Like oh, right. yeah. he is, he is a charlatan and yet something else. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, that Reed, was would you be that. friends with Wayne? <laughs> it depends on whether or not he hugged me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to leave that. It's alone. kind of his, it's kind of his thing. <laughs> um, the last note that I have, literally the last note is just, you know, question 121, in your opinion, do you believe that the departed are in a better place? And um, it's, a, it's a powerful question that uh, I, I love the answer that the last person we see in the episode, uh, not just the answer that they give, which is just simply no, but the breakdown that that character has as they're giving it is really affecting. Um, and Nora's slow, like sort of almost cautious putting the pen to paper to actually check that the person said yeah. no. Um, it's, yeah, it's really affecting. This is this is a fantastic episode. This one and episode three are what I would hang my hat on. Like, <laughs> if you thought the first two episodes were dull, then just hang on for three because three is great. Right. If you right. thought Gladys was a bridge too far, hang on for Guest because Guest will just bring you right back into the show. You know, like it's, yeah. it, it, it really is an outstanding episode. It's an outstanding piece of storytelling. Um, it's it's great. It's It's really outstanding. I love it. Is it outstanding or is it outstanding? You know, it really stands out to me. <laughs> That's the thing. So, um, <clears throat> that has once more been TV Guideposts, where this week we discussed whether we would be Facebook friends with Matt Jameson or just follow him <laughs> or just join the Matt Jameson fan page um, in episodes five and six, Gladys and guest two episodes that both in title start with the letter G. <laughs> this TV guidepost is brought to you by the letter G. <laughs> Woo-wee! Re-re! <laughs> hey! 
So we did our call to action. We did our business time. Um, we, we unpacked some TV guideposts. We are going to cut to commercial break because we've got a special guest coming. We um, do. We do. We do. We had Bill last week. We've got a uh, new friend of the fog, uh, Noel T. Manning the second joining us. Um, if you are paying attention to your feed, meet me at the movies uh, as a B side just dropped, um, which is where yep. Reed and I guested on Noel's um, film show talking about movies talking about the fear of god it was a really great time we had and we invited old noel to join the party on a conversation about 1999 is that right 2000 that's right nope 2099 99 it's, it's 99. we're gonna party in a minute like it's 1999 <laughs> if i can remember the year this movie released um in a minute we're gonna come back from commercial break with a conversation with noel t manning the second about the kevin bacon vehicle stir of echoes see you in a minute hang tight All right, and we are back from commercial break. For we need we need to make up a commercial read and just throw it in there, a little little jingle <laughs> or something. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us today a uh, very fresh friend of the fog, uh, Noel T. Manning the second. Noel, thank you so much for being with us, um, listeners. Now, possibly viewers, you may have caught in our feed just last week. Um, Noel has his own show, Meet Me at the Movies. Reed and I guested on that recently and wanted to return the favor. And here we are. Noel um, is a film, TV, and music and pop culture journalist since... Do you want me to say this year, Noel? Are you okay with that? You wrote it. It's since 1989. Um, he is a member of the Critics' Choice Association and the North Carolina Film Critics Association, of which Fear of God is now a member as well. Um, he's also a founder and member of film festival boards and host for entertainment shows for TV, radio, and online audiences. But how I know him uh, is he is an adjunct professor of communication and new media studies at Gardner-Webb University, Mine and Reads alma mater and at cleveland community college and and uh you know uh uh formal formal stuff aside um how noel you and i have connected over the years since uh gardner webb is um you very graciously have featured the birth my little theatrical production here and there over the years and so you and i have stayed in touch and just kind of cool that it's all kind of coalesced back into something like this where we get to wax nerdy about movies so thank you so much for being here noel Heck yeah. Thank you guys for inviting me. Uh, it was a blast. I loved having you on Meet Me at the Movies and uh, and thanks for returning the favor. I, I'm, I'm excited. Looking forward to this. Yeah, no problem. So something we like to do every episode. I'm sorry. Something we like to do whenever we have a guest, a new guest. Every episode especially. that we have a guest. Yes. Yes. See, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for finishing my sandwiches. Um, I got, got your back. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, is something that I'm going to now formally hand over to Reed and let him <laughs> let him do so I don't screw it up any further. Listen, we're we're new at this. Okay. Just you got to show us some grace. Okay. We're still still working out some of the some of the kinks. Um, no. So we like uh, when we engage with someone in a sort of a formal conversation, their first time on the show uh, to ask them two questions. Uh, two questions. You, uh, the first one is pretty straightforward, pretty right. simple. Okay. Um, what are a couple of your favorite scary movies um, or what kind of scary movies do you like? Answer it however gotcha. you want. 
Well, I uh, I was born a fan of Universal horror films. Mm. Good but call. I cut my teeth on Hammer horror films, and then I came of age during kind of the VHS direct-to-video campy horror films, <laughs> and then ultimately I graduated into thought-provoking classics. So, um, you know, natural you kind of human progression. You know, it's a storied history. So, yeah. So you throw all that together. I mean, I, I, I love so many different types, but I'm just going to name three uh, three films right now: American Werewolf in London. Ah. Uh, just, uh, you know, an amazing film that found a way to combine, uh, you know, horror and comedy. And it did it so perfectly. And mm. the effects at that time were pretty incredible. Um, Cabin in the Woods, uh, nice. once again, uh, you know, kind of a different kind of horror film. You think you're getting one thing and then you get something completely different. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm a fan of Westerns. And um, there was a Western horror film a few years ago called Bone Tomahawk. There you go. Oh! I knew that's where you were yeah. going. That's a great yeah. flick. As soon I as got, he said Western, like something rose oh, up in me. Like, is yes. he going to talk about it? Is he going to talk about yes. it? Well, oh. I got to interview the director and the writer uh, of that. Oh. Uh, S. Craig Zaylor. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was just, I was just blown away. It was just one of those movies that came out of nowhere. That's and a phenomenal so, film. So, yeah. So anyway, those are those are three. I've got a huge list of them, but I'll yeah. just mention those. You three. you ought to uh, know. Go listen to our American Werewolf in London episode. <laughs> it is, it's quite ribald. It's um, funny. We've actually done uh, episodes on all of those. Um, I uh, particularly, I think you might appreciate if you have not had the chance to hear it. Our Bone Tomahawk conversation because I yeah. think that was a. Uh, <laughs> That just was name a, a movie and we'll be like, oh, yeah, and go listen yeah, to this one, too. Go, go listen to the podcast, okay? Um, so, no, but um, I, I have to ask this before I ask the other one. So, uh, is it Zayler? I've been saying Zoller like, my whole life. Yeah, well, he, he told me Zayler. Okay, well, we've gotten know, it wrong. You I heard it here he first. I he would know. Yes, you, you, you heard it here uh, probably Second. we're the last to the party. Now, <laughs> so, and uh, also, as a fun little note here, uh, Reed loves to tout that he saw Psycho or some other sort of absurdly <laughs> scary movie at six years old. You kind of just trumped him with you were born a Universal Monsters fan. So, you know, it's just. <laughs> there, I, there it is. What? I'm so, such the third wheel. <laughs> and listen, yeah. you cannot you cannot mention Hammer Horror Films. I have to ask you, have you ever heard of one of the Hammer Horror Films, one of the Christopher Lee Dracula films called Taste the Blood of Dracula? I have heard of it. And I actually have all of uh, Christopher Lee's Hammer Horror Film collection okay so. <laughs> so that that film is one of my favorites in that whole series it's cool. it's it's outstanding it's great okay Very so cool. lest we belabor too much on that so the second question <laughs> which you can um approach as existentially or as practically as you want is what scares you okay and you're not looking at what scares me in movies you're just talking about what life me. yes well, uh, evil kids scare me in movies and they scare me in life. And, and uh, it, it seems like during COVID-19, I've seen a lot of evil kids running around uh, grocery stores without masks. Ah! And so you know, that's pretty Some evil pretty adults, scary. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially when there's a one-way sign and they go the wrong way. Wow. And then oh, they start man. coughing. That's some scary stuff. Anarchy. Um, you know, I, I think if I'm going to look at real life stuff, I think People who prey on the innocent, that's something that scares me and it makes me angry at the same time. Mm. Um, and then people who put themselves and others at risk with bad decisions. Mm. Um, you know, they mm. just make bad choices, but they're doing it without regard uh, to the impact it has on others. Those, those things kind of scare me. That was, yeah. was No, uh, I want to just pat you on the back virtually here because that was very thoughtful. Um, Reed, do you want to tell Noah what you're afraid of? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to 
I'd like to tell him a couple things about you, Mr. Rouse. <laughs> no, to let you in on the joke. Um, I love that this keeps coming up in such quick succession. Yeah, you would love it. So, I um, I the so basically, uh, when asked this question before, I answered sincerely right. that. Um, sometimes my family goes to bed at that. The listeners are going to get sick of this story, Nathan. Stop bringing <laughs> it up. Or not. So, so, <laughs> uh, my family typically goes to bed before I do. My son, you know, usually my son goes to bed. My wife and I hang out for a little while, watch TV, watch a movie, whatever. And then after that, she goes to bed usually about an hour to two hours before I do, um, depending on the evening. And uh, so then if I'm out and I'm finished with what I was doing in the living room, then I click all the lights off. Well, I have to walk down our hallway and it is not uncommon for me to have a brief moment where I'm, well, I'll see like a pile of clothes somewhere or I'll there see it is. something. You can stop right there. You can stop. It's just no, a pile no, no. of clothes. No, no, Reed's no. scared of clothes. <laughs> I am, I'm scared of a pile of clothes. Where I'll see something and it'll just, I'll have this yeah, moment it's fine. where it's I'm fine. like. It's fine. We can move on. You know what? <laughs> so, thank you, Noel, for being here for answering our ridiculous questions. Um, Heck yeah. <laughs> speaking of ridiculousness, uh, you know, this, so today, Listeners, viewers, co-hosts, uh, we're talking about <laughs> the film Stir of Echoes. I hope you're prepared. Um, from 1999, 2000? 99. 99. Released just a little bit after Sixth Sense was. I can't believe we didn't do this when we covered... Um, <laughs> God, what is that movie? <laughs> Friday the 13th, right? That's... I- I have no Jason. idea where you're going. That's, that's so Jason, right? Friday the 13th is Jason? Yes. Yeah, Jason. I mean, not the first one. No. I, yes. Well, right, right, right. That's his mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's your mom. So I can't believe we didn't do that then because that film also has Kevin Bacon in it. But this is, I think, the first full Bacon we've ever featured, right? And, and Reed, I mean. This is Bacon well done. This is some thick cut Bacon. It is. Right. As a matter of fact, yeah. this is absolutely. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> this, this is going to be a right. long if, conversation. If James Cromwell had taken Babe to the bacon parlor, no. this would be that. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. yes, exactly. That'll oh, do. Oh, that'll do. Oh, wow. Oh. So we're talking about Stir of Echoes. Kevin Bacon is featured in this film. He stars in this film. We are right now, surprise read, going to play Six Degrees No, Kevin Bacon. We are. Really? We are. Yeah. Oh, God. So I'm going to let... Noel, our guest, because he knew this was happening and Reed didn't, y'all. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm go, unprepared. Go first, and then I'll go while Reed... Uh, by the way, Reed, I've got yours covered if you can't figure it out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Fine. So, Noel, so this is Six Degrees <laughs> yes. of Kevin Bacon. You've right. you've kind of had a little bit of a hand in this industry for some time now. Certainly, there's an avenue by which you can discern your... Your your proximity to the bacon, right? Yep. What you got? So so well, I I uh, I'm one degree away. From one. Bacon. You're only one. one? Wow. Yes. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> well, he's got us beat. <laughs> <laughs> well, now now maybe you have to help me. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, I uh, was an extra and, and did some work on a film called The Trial, which was a Gary Wheeler film shot in Charlotte, and. Um, Bob Gunton, who you may remember, uh, he's he's a character actor that's been in tons of things. But if you saw Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. He, oh yeah, he you know he was the warden. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he he worked with Kevin Bacon and Oliver Stone's JFK. Oh. So, so I worked with Bob Gunton and got to spend time with Bob Gunton. 
That's um, awesome. And, and the there you go. Trial. I think I think you so, win. Kind of like so. being born a Universal <laughs> Monsters fan, you've just got the closest proximity to the bacon. Yeah, um, I don't see how we can get how we can beat one degree. Like we I won't, just it'll be fun trying. Um, <laughs> Reed, do you have yours yet? Uh, I'm still trying to think through it. So <laughs> okay. yeah, if you because you. you know because I didn't get I the minutes to prepare for <laughs> yeah. this nonsense. Oh, he had about he, twelve hours actually. Yeah, but um, Reed, you know, Reed, Reed knows Noel Manning, and Noel that's Manning true. is one degree. <laughs> well, here you go. We are each other's. Yeah, the, I mean, whatever that, that will work. Fill in the I will, blank. That's that's easy though. That's that too is. That's easy. too much. I will. I will. I will do my best to come up with. Uh, that is a not the crispy bacon I was wanting. To um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go. So oh, okay, all right. No, all right. you were an extra in a film. Well, I was. Uh, shortly after this film was shot, or right around the time Stir of Echoes released, Shallow Hal was shot uh, in Charlotte. And Jack Black. Do what? Jack Black yes. and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, yeah. and, and one of those is where I'm going here. So, Reed, I don't know if you know this. I'm not going to tell you where to find it because you'd probably go look it up real quick. Noel, <laughs> last night, he screenshotted. I didn't know there's like basically a website that you can just plug it in. I oh, actually... For real? Yes, I actually yeah. backtracked. I, was, I, I used the old brain you know, not, not the internet the itself, brain. Right? not the algorithm. Well, eats wow. A um, so my six degrees of Kevin Bacon is in shallow. Hal is Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow is also in seven with Brad Pitt, who is also in sleepers with the bacon. Mm. That was my, that was my path. So how many is mm. that? Is it numbers of films or numbers of people? Or I don't know. I don't know. It's been a while since I've played um, it's, this game. Well, no, who was the person you, who did you say? Uh, Paltrow to, to seven, which has Pitt, to sleepers, which has Kevin Let's Bacon. See, Gwyneth. Wow. I have to look it up. I have to do the research here, but yeah, I, I think it's just like well, if Bob Gunton worked with Bacon, so that's right one degree. Yeah, yeah whatever. So, it, it doesn't matter. The number <laughs> the number six is irrelevant just to the fun of the game. Uh, anecdotally, while Reed continues to rack his brain, uh, I wow. uh, to graduate from Gardner Webb University, uh, of which we're all connected. Um, to, I had to do an internship for my theater degree and read, you did yours. I don't remember where, but, uh, I did it at the lost colony, which is in the outer banks of North okay. Carolina. And my role was as first soldier. That was the character's name. First hmm. soldier. Yep. And my task effectively in this role was to stand perfectly still on stage as as, as sort of sentinel to the queen, right? Like just standing right, there, right, right, stock right, still. Right. Well, what listeners and but I imagine co-hosts probably know, or and listeners might not, is that in the dead of summer on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, it's hot as blazes. And more than that, I was as first soldier adorned in like basically wool from head to toe <laughs> and armor, uh, and also while on the beach at Outer Banks, the mosquitoes rage through the summer so i had to stand there perfectly still sweat pouring off of me while mosquitoes ate my legs <laughs> while i did this on stage like five nights a week for a for a That's summer scary. i would basically play six degrees of kevin bacon in my head i would just try to think <laughs> wow. of an actor off the top of my head and try to make my way there try that is how there. i spent my time so i'm a great oh. actor by the way <laughs> i was very in the wow. moment <laughs> wow. Well, I well, so so I do have one. Um, yeah. 
share it. I'm curious. So now I, you know, I, I, I don't act. I mean, I've, I've well, I mean, I've, you don't, but you've done a thing. Uh, I've done a thing. Yeah, I've done a thing. That's you've how been I got waiting, there. You've been waiting three years <laughs> to force me to bring this up. Oh no! So this, this is all coming up. I'll do it for you. Okay. Uh, Noel, I have uh, upon occasion had the opportunity to, um, you know, I've, I've written a couple of screenplays, and and from time to time they have people have paid me money for them. So um, not not a lot of money, <laughs> but uh, it's happened a time or two. Um, one of these was for it was actually the very first one um, was for a film uh, that Michael Bean. Uh, of Terminator and uh, Aliens fame. Uh, he procured the screenplay from me. Uh, they did some rewrites to it, uh, but I still have a story by credit, and that is that is me. It is a film called The Victim. And uh, so he uh, was in The Victim... Uh, so that's there that's him that's him to me okay so Got so it. i wrote finally i i Three wrote years the victim <laughs> can't believe it i can't believe it just been, i've been avoiding this conversation for forever <laughs> so i wrote the victim michael bean was in the victim michael bean was also in if memory serves yes in tombstone with bill paxton and Bill Paxton was in Apollo 13 with Kevin Bacon. There so, you go. So that, that was not the route so, I took, but I was working for something similar. Oh, I've got a different really? path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, oh, what was yours? Okay. So I, I'm telling you, man, I worked hard for this path. <laughs> uh, I was, I was IMDB in the heck out of this, just backtracking. Like, okay, who was it? Didn't know. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, literally yeah. after 20 minutes of doing this, Noah sends me a screenshot. <laughs> of of the little app he's using or whatever it is. I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. Um, oh my gosh. So yes. Everyone, what I love, what no, you are just present for such a glorious fear of God moment here because <laughs> my dear friend Reed of 20 years, uh, uh, pod host of three, in in for full credit here, just had <laughs> a screenplay that is as far as the east is from the west from the victim release like two months ago, and we haven't talked about it on the show. Reed had no, a screenplay no. produced and put it into the world, and it's a lovely film. You can look it up. I think formally it's called XL, but referencing 40. It's no, uh, formally it's called 40. They, they okay. officially changed okay, the title. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But about Jesus' time in the wilderness. Uh, the victim is not about that. Um, no. The victim is like a grindhouse, hardcore, like crime, horror I, crime thriller. Like it, You'd be ashamed yeah. of Reed if you saw I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's such it's a story. There's a such a story there. Pivot. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> But it's it's perfectly illustrated by the fact that we do the show. Um, so Reed, yes, wrote the victim. Bean is in the victim. Bean is also in Planet Terror, which also has Josh Brolin, who is also in Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. Brolin, yeah, nice. Brolin was my connecting point. So, so whenever I play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, I always try to think of the Kevin Bacon film with the biggest and most prolific stars in it. And one of those, Apollo 13 is like, you know, because it's got Ed Harris and it's got Tom Hanks and it's got uh, Gary Sinise. I tried to get to and I just couldn't find it. Yeah. So, and then, so then when I landed on Bill Paxton, I was like, oh, Bill Paxton was in Tombstone. So that's probably where I'm going to go. So, yep. Well, that. Was six degrees <laughs> of Kevin Bacon, fear of God style. All right. Oh well. Speaking. And, and if you want, yes. and if you want to know, and if you want to know the website, you can go to. It's called the. Uh, it's called oracleofbacon.org. Oracleofbacon.org. Huh. Yeah, oracleofbacon.org, and it's been around for quite a while. And uh, 
Yeah, Michael, Michael, uh, with Michael Bain, you are yeah, two degrees, basically. Wow, from that's Kevin crazy. Bacon, so. Oh, that's wild. Look at you. I'm now, again, I'm the third wheel here. Noel's like one and a half away. Reed's like two away. <laughs> since since well, we actually, you're, go ahead. you're two away. Uh, Nathan's two away. Me? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Jack Black, okay. of course, yeah. was in Shallow Howl. Right. Uh, and uh, Bruce McGill was in Shallow House. Oh, Bruce God. McGill. I love Bruce, Bruce McGill. He's the best. Bruce McGill was with Kevin Bacon in Animal House. So there that's you go. Two degrees. Oh, nice, nice. I just okay, like. So before- I like the work. I like. Uh, it's a it's a work <laughs> ethic thing. You know, I'm, so like, before- I'm not going to just plug it into the internet. <laughs> All right. So hey, I worked. I worked for that man. <laughs> so before we before we leave this before we leave this. So um, there is actually a connecting point that I take. You know, even more delight in than knowing I'm two degrees away from Kevin Bacon. And that is that in the film, The Victim, uh, in a supporting role is actor Danielle Harris. And Danielle Harris is prominently featured in a couple of the films of the Halloween franchise, which I'm a very, very big fan of. So I love that. That was my connecting point to the Halloween franchise. I literally just found out like a couple of months, like just not that long ago, maybe a couple of months ago, that um, we had done a film project for our church a couple of years ago and had filmed at this gas station out near where we live. And I found I literally didn't find out until like a couple of months ago that Friday the 13th Part 3 was filmed there. So I was like, I have connecting points to Halloween <laughs> and to the Friday the 13th franchise. I am so excited. Real. I'll let you have you know, that one. You know, yeah, it's pretty please loose. do. You're going to keep the other bringing one you up at least wrote a screenplay for, not just well, occupied true. the same space as other people. <laughs> I've been there. I breathe like, their air. I'm on planet Earth <laughs> and they are too. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Let's jump into let's stir the echoes. Stir okay. the pot. All right. So stir of echoes. Read. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any trivial bits for us about stir of echoes that you want to share? I do. One. I think but. I think the biggest trivial bit that I could name is that coincidentally speaking, Kevin Bacon was in a film with Bill Paxton called <laughs> Apollo 13 and <laughs> Bill Paxton was in a film. Oh, wow. <laughs> now that the door is open, Reed's like, mm, I'm going to walk through I'm gonna and reference back out it all the and time. back through. Uh, no, sincerely, I do have, I do have actually quite a few here, so I, I don't know if I'll mention all of them, but, um, there's a lot of conversation around the creepy walk that the ghost does in the film. Um, and they get asked a lot how that effect was done. And it, it was actually pretty, pretty practical. Um, they basically had the actor walk very, very slowly, but naturally while they played the camera sped up. Um, and so then, when they played the camera back at normal speed, then the sort of subtle nuances of their movement made it very, very cryptic and and made this sort of unnerving effect. It's not true slow motion um, because they were walking slowly while the camera was recording them sped up. So it creates that sort of creepy walk uh, effect, which I did find pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, I did. I did love to note that uh, when Kevin Bacon's character kicks the bucket up at the window and the window breaks, that it that was not supposed to happen. That was just a happy accident. But because Kevin Bacon stayed in character because he's a consummate professional, they were able to keep it in the film. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, uh, savvy filler, fear of God listeners might take note that Andrew Kevin Walker is credited with a special thanks in this film. Um, and he actually, he's the writer of Seven, and he actually did some legit script doctoring for this. Um, but he was denied credit, uh, couldn't quite 
uh, ascertain why in my research, but he was denied credit by the WGA, so instead they gave him uh, a special thanks in the credit to note his contribution. Um, and then the last bit that I have, other than maybe a couple of things that will come up when we talk about the hypnosis scene, is uh, the film. So the film was released in 1999, literally a month after The Sixth Sense was released. So The Sixth Sense was released in August of 99. This was released in September of 99, and there was so much hype and excitement around The Sixth Sense that it stole nearly all of the attention that would have gone to this film, because the films are similar sort of in, in premise, and they're similar a bit in theme. Um, but the, similars, the similarities between Stir of Echoes and The Sixth Sense are not nearly as strong as the similarities, Nathan, I don't know if you were thinking this or if this is going to come up later in your notes, uh, but the film actually has some striking similarities to... La the film we covered last week, The Changeling. Um, they, both films uh, feature someone being drawn in by a ghost to avenge and expose their murder. Uh, and I don't know if you knew this, but Senator Carmichael, speaking of degrees, Senator Carmichael in The Changeling was played by uh, legendary actor Melvin Douglas. His granddaughter, Ileana Douglas, is the hypnotist in this film. Whoa. So, uh, I know, I know. So we can talk a little That's bit more about devil. that. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk some more about the hypnotism scene when we get there, but those are some. I love how like that's my one trivial bit and you're like, nah, we're not gonna do that one. Wait, is it is oh, so is that your you yeah, have some yeah, stuff the on the hypnotism, hypnotism go stuff? Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, no, no. You gonna, share. We're gonna move fast it. No, no. <laughs> no, all I was gonna say is, um, so I it's it doesn't matter now. You just killed it. Um I'm playing with you. Wow. So wow. there's a hypnotism scene in this film. Uh, Actually, two. two yes. Yes. I think this yeah. is re referring to the initial one. It says the hypnosis sequence follows actual hypnosis techniques used yes. by professional mm -hmm. hypnotists. And in order to, this was great, in order to ensure the audience hadn't been put to sleep, and some susceptible people have been, there's a musical accent at the close of the sequence to wake everyone up. I just yep. thought that was great. What's really funny awesome. about reading that is in the moment watching it, I was like, I wonder if this is really how. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it did occur to me. I was like, I wonder if this is how it happens. Didn't know that sure, people had sure. actually been put to sleep. Well, I've been hypnotized before, so yeah, it's it's pretty freaky. I've always been curious to be. I never have been, and I've always been curious because I hear that it's very unlike the the how it's depicted in TV and movies. That you know, like I have always heard that they say you can't. Uh, under hypnosis they can't make you do something you would not normally do so if right. it's if it's not you know something that you would be commonly prone to do it's it's not going to happen so like those images of people running around barking like a dog or doing things like that like those are those are probably not very common uh attributes of people but they said more often than not it's like this deep relaxed feeling so that you feel very sort of sleepy and rested and uh and so i've just i've always been curious about it but i've never been hypnotized yeah i, I did pretty crazy things but i do pretty crazy things anyway so <laughs> it's in my character <laughs> he's like but, actually but, i barked like a dog yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no i actually i danced like a fool on the end of the stage like you know like nobody was watching and oh, they snapped me out of that's it just the, and Lord. the whole crowd was watching me i'm like well i would have done that anyway <laughs> but but yes relaxing absolutely that's Interesting. i mean i it was, I mean, it, it felt like I'd had like the best night of sleep of my life. Interesting. I got to look up hypnotism and find, find yeah. that. There's a, nice there's thing. actually a show on Netflix that we really enjoyed with the kids called uh, brain child. And oh. it's this great little science show for kids. 
um, that each episode is a topic and the topic of this one is like motivation. That's what it was. Hmm. And it, okay. it, each episode featured these little, almost like sketch style stuff, but it's informative and some of it's animated and stuff like that. But one of them is this like hypnotist working with this crowd and watching. Mm. And so it, the concept of motivation being choosing or not choosing to do a thing based on outside influence. And so it's this amazing, like five minute sort of sequence that you ought to just go check out. It's on Netflix. It's brainchild cool, motivation cool. episode. Really interesting. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are here <laughs> to ultimately maybe talk about stir of echoes. So Noah, as you were prepped, we broadly speaking, uh, sort of categorize our conversation into generally speaking, likes, dislikes. What did we enjoy? What, what did you not so much enjoy? Um, so we'll kind of touch on some of that, uh, together. Then we'll dive into some, some, and if there were some scares that really stood out to you, finishing off with some thematic ideas and, um, no, as our guest, do you have any kind of likes or dislikes that, that readily jump out that you want to bring up? Yeah, I've always been a fan of Kevin Bacon. So, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon will draw me in anyway for, for any movie. But what I loved about this movie and his character, he ultimately channeled uh, his character, Tom, channeled Jack Nicholson from The Shining mm, at times. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, also, Richard Dreyfuss from uh, Close Encounters. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, anytime you've got this guy who uh, hoards orange juice and digs holes with a jackhammer instead of an axe, you know, that's something to 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 to, to think about. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but um, you know, I'm not. It's not somebody I want renting my house. But uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> you know. But yeah, I love ghost stories. I also love closed mysteries, and this was one of those mm. closed mysteries. Um, the uh, the music from uh, James Newton Howard really loved that, and I think it. For the most part, it uh, it has dated pretty well. Mm. Um, you know, there were some times that it you know it did feel like it was the late nineties, early two thousands. But his score, I think, uh, dated pretty well. Sound design, I loved. Um, but but for me, anytime I'm watching a film or uh, reading something, it goes to the story. It goes back to that original story, yeah. and is the story worthwhile? And you know, this one, the original concept of this goes back to 1958. Um, mm-hmm. Richard Matheson wrote the original, um, and you may know him from uh, doing things like I Am Legend. He did a lot of Twilight Zone yep. uh, and also numerous horror screenplays. But uh, those are just some of the things that I really, really dug about it. There were some certain scenes that I loved as well, but uh, really drawn into the mystery of it and uh, you know, us trying to figure out exactly what's going on and why. And I'm glad you brought up that this came around the same time as The Sixth Sense because I think if the sixth sense had not come out, this would have been a much bigger success in the box office. I think so too. And I think time has kind of validated a lot of people. What's interesting about it is I, I feel like it's the kind of film and actually Nathan, I have a question for you directly related to this comment. So Me? stir of echo. Yes. You, okay. Yeah. Um, because this was your first time seeing it. Noel and I, I think had, you had seen it before Noel, right? So, right. so this were repeat viewings for us. I've seen it probably three or four times. And, um, my perception and your experience of it, Nathan, may sort of uh, validate or or not this perception that I've had is I feel like it's the kind of film that if somebody pitches it to you pretty heavily, you're going to go into it and might enjoy it, but might be like, I don't know what the big deal was. Um, but if you stumble upon it sort of on your own or just in the stream of things, it it is a really arresting and very surprising 
uh, and surprisingly effective film. Um, I, I have found in general people who come to it because they have heard a lot of hype about it usually think it's okay. But people who stumbled onto it because, oh, yeah, I watched this random movie that I'd never heard of, and it was Stir of Echoes, and it's amazing. So that pivoting over to you, Nathan, what was your – because this was your first time seeing it. What was your experience of the film? How did you feel about it? And I mean, in general, what was your what was your take on Stir of Echoes? Um, I did think it was funny hearing Noel's take because it feels like it's been forever since I've watched a Kevin Bacon movie. And so it was, it was just kind of part of that was just fun seeing him do his thing. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a couple of real standout elements. Mm. The overall effect didn't really work for me. Um, and how I, how I phrased it in my own notes was it felt overproduced. Uh, it felt like there's a, Mm. there's just a lot there. There were a couple of scenes and I do have likes. It sounds like I'm coming out of the gate swinging. I don't mean that per se, <laughs> but there were a couple of scenes where I was like, I can't believe how much exposition is happening in this moment. Like it is just like, <laughs> you know, goodness gracious, y'all. I mean, y'all are just, <laughs> just bacon <laughs> <laughs> plot, 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 you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it just had this real kind of nineties energy about it. And, and, I do think it's unfortunate. I I don't know if I'd have had this experience if it had not been conversationally attached to Sixth Sense, but going sure. into yeah, it mm-hmm. sort of with that subconscious note in my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is interesting because I, one, I don't think it, it's not even a fair comparison to say is one better than the other. I do think Sixth Sense as a film is better, but story wise there's some similar elements it did conjure changeling it did conjure shining and it wasn't until reading stuff after i was like oh okay that wasn't just me sort of sure right mm-hmm. um to the point that it wouldn't have surprised me if stir of echoes even though knowing it's based on matheson uh if it were an updated version of the changeling it very much has uh, that right. kind mm-hmm. of energy about it mm-hmm. um so yeah i do think there's some real standout things the first roughly 45 minutes or so, other than the hypnotism sequence, the way that's constructed, not just what he sees, which is pretty, you know, kind of intense and, and sort of really well realized. So not yeah. just what he sees, but the way it's presented in the film that you don't get sure. all of that in the moment was really strong to me. But other than that, the first 40 minutes, I was kind of like, man, I just don't know. But once <laughs> Bacon really started taking center stage, I, I mean, whenever Bacon's center stage, I just, yeah. it's, you can't help it's but sizzling. salivate. It's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great. Whenever Bacon started sizzling, yeah, man, I was in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> it was, I was in. I was all <laughs> so, so we're making a lot of jokes about Kevin Bacon and his name and everything like that. I, oh, well, I, I, I say, it's no, kind no, of there for I, the taken. <laughs> but I say, ah, um, but I say with no tongue in cheek whatsoever. Um, he's, he's kind of the actor you forget about, and until he's in something, and you're like, oh yeah, Kevin Bacon. Everybody knows Kevin Bacon. He's great. He's in everything, you know. And and one of the things that's that impresses why me six so degrees much, of Kevin Bacon exists. That's what I mean. But what I'm saying is, um, in a film like this, you can really appreciate what he brings to the table and why. He's so prolific that there's such a thing as six degrees of Kevin Bacon because this man is so committed as a performer and he's so charismatic 
and he's so interesting to watch in all of the different facets that he does, whether he's trying to do something a little funny, whether he's doing something that's intense and a bit aggressive, whether he's vulnerable and a bit on his heels, uh, which we see all of those different displays in the film. He's such a versatile actor, and he's such a, a, a sort of a charismatic and arresting presence. I think Stir of Echoes is a great example, though there, there are films that I think he does an even better job, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen a poor performance from him, um, that he really is, he's, he's one of the best things about a movie that I consider to be pretty good, um, maybe even great, is, um, is, is he is just an incredible performer, fully committed to this role, and he does a really excellent job. Um, so, you know, the, the jokes on his name are probably going to continue throughout the episode, but I did want it said with no <laughs> yeah, tongue-in-cheek that, yeah. like, he's, no he's outstanding. No, yeah. and he's outstanding in this film. I think he's, I, I mean, I think he's really galvanizing his, his performances. That's I do, I do want to, and I'm glad we've got a guest to, to sort of notarize this. I would like to read, submit to the, um, fog suggestion box, a new small segment to start incorporating. Um, oh boy. and uh, when at the top of the film or towards the top of the film, when, uh, Maggie shares that she's pregnant and he just goes, bummer. I was like, no, no, sir. So we're going to start giving out the bummer award, like for deadbeat dads. And like, you know, so so moving forward, we'll just be like, that's, that's a bummer. Yes. No. But, but you know, he he wasn't a deadbeat dad. Sure. Yes. Yes. yes, Totally. He was, I mean, from, from the start, you know, he's the one with the kid and with the kid having a bath. Yes. He's the one that takes the monitor, Mm -hmm. went to this party across the street and he's the one listening. Right. Yes. Very very much obsessed with taking care of his son. So mm-hmm. you know, he's very connected to that. And oh, then his absolutely. obsessions, yeah. his obsessions change. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but for me, you know, you talked about, um, you know, Kevin Bacon ultimately drew you in mm-hmm. Nathan. For me, it was in the first minute, 47 seconds when the kid looks at the screen sure. and yeah. says, Hey, does it hurt to be dead? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, crap. yeah. And I was, I was looking around and I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so so that had me at that moment i'm like okay this you know and i remember and so watching it again uh read this this uh third or fourth time or however many times it has been i was like i was reminded just how much i loved that scene especially in theaters yes uh, sure. especially in a the theater sure yeah it's it's really effective when we get to our scare segment i'm definitely going to be talking about that kid talking to the ghost to to highlight a couple of other uh sort of likes dislikes i have um I I do love the the entire sequence uh, from when the, Jake receives the babysitting suggestion from the ghost, all the way progressively through the the uh, the, the babysitter sitting there and hearing him speaking to no one up in the um, through the baby monitor, and then that culminates into her what appears to be kidnapping him, and then you have that whole sequence of Kevin Bacon's character is seeing all of this happen, like that entire progression of escalating tensions i love so much i feel like it's really energizing it's great because it's kind of unexpected you're not really sure exactly how things are going to pivot and how all the dots are going to connect and i feel like it makes a lot of logical sense in retrospect but walking through the that sequence of scenes um i think is really energizing um i felt the same way about his uh dream that he wakes up where he's seeing uh some of the things that we later find as the film progresses, what the context of those moments meant, but it culminates in the boy's suicide attempt. Um, so I, I love that whole, he goes through the dream, goes through those sort of freakish experiences, then wakes up and experiences a variety of that 
in the real. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and then the last note that I have that I really wanted to, to mention in my likes, and then I'll mention one dislike and we can maybe move on, um, is so, so for me, I love the shot when he is talking on the phone to Maggie and he's like, yeah, all, all the digging's done. Like every, everything's fine. You know, I'm back to normal. And then she says like, okay, I'm going to pick you up in an hour. And you can tell he doesn't want her to. And and she's like, I'll pick you up in an hour. When he hangs up the phone, because you, 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 they showed him getting the jackhammer down in the cement. But then you <laughs> see, I mean, the house is destroyed. Yes. It's compl- like planks pulled up. Everything is completely They're not getting demolished. that security deposit back. <laughs> <laughs> not today. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I love that moment. One thing that I will kind of ding the film down for, and Nathan, I don't know if this, if you would echo this. <laughs> Stir, uh, um, so, but... Uh, Something I'll ding the the film for (laughs) is I do think that the central conceit behind the mystery and the subsequent reveal are a bit too predictable and less compelling than the hour and some change buildup that preceded them. Um, You know, I do appreciate some of the tension when you think Tom is threatened by the people who are who who perpetrated this awful thing. Um, But I think when when the whole story comes up. For me, I still find it a bit less interesting than so much of the buildup that brought us there. That's one of my major sort of, not a dislike, but I'll ding it that I feel like the conclusion of everything um, is not does not quite pack the punch that the buildup to it does. For me, anyway. Um, did Nathan, did either you or Noel have anything else for I've, likes, dislikes? So, no, go for it. You got anything? Yeah, uh, you know, I think with this film, uh, as with many horror films, you're going to have the horror tropes that show up. Mm-hmm. You know, ba- babysitters, cemeteries, dark alleys, yeah. creepy basements, the jump scares. Uh, I mean, those are all there for that purpose. So those, I didn't feel that those were original. Mm. Um, but I don't particularly come to these films for the originality of it. But mm. if I'm going to ding it, I'm going to say there were probably, you know, one too many of those. Mm. And, you know, we started talking about jump scares. There were quite a few jump scares in this one. Oh, um, absolutely. And, and, you know, and maybe, maybe one or two overdone. But um, well, you want but, you, know, you want were, tropes. No, you got your magical African American right in the middle. I was like, yeah, goodness exactly. gracious, this is like oh yeah, absolutely. Dick Halloran yeah. showing up here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the I, shining connections, well, it's funny. Speaking of shining connections, I actually wrote down that at the end of the film, I felt like the next shot is a high overhead shot of the three of them driving up a mountain road to a hotel where Tom got work once the utility company laid him off. It'll just be for the winter, though. Um, But I do want to throw out, it sounds like I'm beating up the film, one thing I actually love about it and is a hard turn from what I criticized The Changeling for last week is that they connected the mystery um, to Tom's emotional journey. Uh, whereas yes. the changeling, yes, no, last week on the changeling, I made a reference to how in that film, the loss of George C. Scott's family at the top of the movie has no real resonance beyond that. If mm-hmm. it's almost lip service from there, whereas I love that. Uh, and, and, you know, this could, I don't mean for this moment, but could blow up into a thematic note. I love that he is motivated by his sense of, disappointment and and Mm -hmm. purposelessness Mm -hmm. and you know that this as this mystery starts to reveal itself to him drives him it it kind of um ignoring even six cents has a kind of unbreakable-esque kind of 
energy, mm. you know, like just purpose of, in helping and aiding. So I actually right. really loved that aspect of it. Yeah. And I did have mentioned, I, I wasn't going to keep going with them, but I, I did mention again, I cited Kevin Bacon's acting and everything. His breakdown scene after the digging thing, I think is, is outstanding. The emotional uh, degrees that he's displaying when he's talking and he he's having this meltdown about how desperate he is to, to matter. And I, so, yes, I, I couldn't agree more. They've connected it specifically to this character's journey. It is not simply, though the plot is he kind of got thrust into this thing uh, on his own. It does have resonance for him as a person and for who he's trying to be and who he's despairing of his own sensibilities. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, yeah, go ahead, Noel. I also really loved the young kid uh, who was mm, cast, mm, mm-hmm. um, Zachary David Cope. I think he did a, a fine job. Um, you know, he had a way of talking to the camera and then talking to his parents. But, I mean, he just felt it felt natural. And you know, kid yeah. actors can can be natural and authentic, but I think it really worked with uh, with this role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of that kid, you guys ready to dive into some scares? Let's do it. Do it. Let's okay. Do it. So I do find that whole bit about the kid like talking to the ghost so casually and so frequently looking into the camera. I find that remarkably effective. <laughs> I think just the image of some, you know, not even just the whole, what does it feel like to be dead that you mentioned earlier, <laughs> but just every single time he's like talking and talking directly into the camera. I think it's, I mean, you could maybe say that maybe it's a hair manipulative on the filmmaker's part, but I, I color me manipulated. Cause I felt like it was really, <laughs> <laughs> it was really effective. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it worked me out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so basically anything related to that, piece of things um last thing i'll cite before i invite you guys to mention some of the scares you have is uh of course that sequence when they're confronting him after uh the whole train thing has happened and he's sitting there playing with the trains and they're playing with the toys and they're he's not paying attention to them and then he suddenly says don't ask the boy any more questions and then busts out with that deep guttural talk to me i was like oh and i love that like it registered on their faces but they yes. didn't quite know what to do about that. Like, what, what, what's happening right now? So, yeah, I, uh, that was a really pretty freaky moment. What you guys got? Yeah, I, I love the kid. Um, you know, there were so many times that, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, I wrote on almost any time the kid talks to the ghost, Samantha, it's creepy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and even when he's relaying things to the parents, I mean, there was one time he looks at his dad and he says, don't be afraid of it, Daddy. And I'm like, oh man, yeah. you're just freaking yeah. me out, kid. <laughs> like, I kept thinking, what if that was my son Thomas saying stuff uh, like that to me? Mm. You know, he's he's 20 now, but if he still came up and said, "Don't be afraid of it, Daddy," oh, I'd still geez. freak out. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Other jump scares, and and you know, some of these we've kind of seen before, but you know, the mom taking the bath and the, the ghost appears in the mirror. Um, you know, that's still freaky to me. Yeah. The freaky walking scene of Samantha. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That that got me. A lot of the hypnosis, fear parts of the hypnosis mm-hmm. uh, got to me as well. Uh, there were just so many of these just creepy scenes, and they they worked. Uh, even the high school kid with a handgun, and then he has blood all over his face. Oh yeah, in that Whew. vision. Well, and the way that's um, sort of edited too is really effective. oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the, the editing was really solid. Yes, yeah, I agree. Um, there was one scene. Um, this kid is watching this Sid and Marty Croft TV show called Lidsville. Oh, yeah. And he's sitting on the bed, and the TV screen keeps going back and forth to the zombie film 
to Lidsville. And Lidsville was like the most freaky kids show anyway. But then when you know the ghost of Samantha goes on the TV screen oh, <laughs> man. while the kids watching Lidsville, I'm like, okay, I will never watch Lidsville the same way again. Never. Kids and kids never. programming. No, thank you. That's right. Um, Reed, you will be happy with me to know that I caught that that was not of the living dead and I would not have I am happy. been able to do you've, that without fear of God. Yep, You've come a long way. I appreciate that. Um, uh, what I, do you I, have? It, ha- it hasn't been mentioned yet, um, but uh, on top of the highly inconvenient moment to have some of these visions he has um, towards about the, you know, 20, 30 minute mark, the visions um, Tom has initially of the fingernail break uh, and then yeah. the tooth in the mirror oh my god yes. oh, oh just, yeah that did you know right. that right so you'll be impressed with this uh if you it, Noel, I'm if you didn't already always impressed with you, Reed, so. <laughs> <laughs> but no if you didn't if you didn't know this and i didn't even write it down i just stumbled upon it and and remembered it that that entire sequence like the whole him messing with the tooth pulling it out dropping it into the sink and then coming back up and everything's gone there's no edits to that that was all achieved practically um because he he's wearing a cap on his on his real tooth pulls that off Ugh. while he's while he's holding a uh, a ceramic tooth in his hand palming it so he pulls that off and then he drops the ceramic tooth in the sink camera pans down meanwhile there's somebody off screen who wipes the blood off his face really quick so when the camera pans wow. back up so it's so it's all just movie magic they didn't have to do like yeah. edits and cuts and everything and wow. i thought that was really impressive because it's it's pretty simply rendered but it but it works that whole sequence yeah. is is uh, pretty effective. that's hollywood for you <laughs> <laughs> well and to do that in one take i mean like yeah. a one shot right that's, that's pretty pretty impressive it really is no absolutely um and uh yeah i i think the last thing that i had speaking you're mentioning those visions thing the first time he goes down and sits on the couch yes uh, and yes leans back and turns over and like uh, yeah like, what's up me, girl oh my God. <laughs> that gave me quite a jolt but what i like yeah. about it and and the film does not overplay its hand here but the film has a couple of moments that i find effective from a humor standpoint because they have that moment. It's a scare. He looks over on the couch and sees her on the couch. So then he keeps trying to recreate it. And I found it kind of comical that he's sitting down. He like sits yeah, down, he turns great. the TV, sits down, <laughs> and then does this hard pivot over to the left. Nothing. So then he, you know, tries it to repeat again. There was another moment after I mentioned his like big meltdown after doing the digging. And then he goes in, pours himself and Maggie glasses of orange juice. Mm hmm passes the orange juice over to her and then the camera just lingers on him while he's constantly like looking down at it and looking up at her like <laughs> yeah. like what's going to happen here and so i feel like the film does that pretty effectively because neither of those moments felt forced they genuinely yep. generated some humor without feeling like oh you're just you're trying to be silly um it just it, it felt natural in the moment so i really liked that um that was all i had on my scares list anybody else have anything that they wanted to mention before we potentially stir into some deeping deeper waters yeah, just the, the scene you were talking about where he first sees Samantha on the couch and then they, you know, did that. He tried to recreate it. Mm-hmm. And I love the camera, um, the way the camera was used in him trying to recreate it because it sure. would, it would, you know, it would look at him and then it would pan over, look at him and then it would pan over, mm-hmm. look at, and so that was done with, um, with kind of a nod to fun as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. playing with us a little bit. And you kept as a, as an audience member, you kept thinking, okay, this time he's actually going to see her. Right. You know, right, when it right, pans right. over, he's actually going to see her, but he never did. 
Yeah. And I love that. I love that. No, I agree. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so Nathan, mm-hmm. uh, do you, uh, feels I, to me, I'm, I'm sensing you got something brewing. What you, what you, what you got? What you, what you want to talk about? Stir that brew. <laughs> um, <laughs> reminds me of one of my children's preschool songs. Um, so no, I, um, Reed and I are right now, or the fear of God, uh, via us is right now. This episode is part of a series. Um, we've loosely dubbed in the morning M O U R N I N G. And it's funny. You bring up your scare, your existential scares earlier. Um, the series was intentionally crafted to reflect and, stir if you will and i don't mean that jokey but to to ponder and and just sort of marinate and meditate on um our kind of global moment and how that kind of affects us locally as well uh whether that's locally you know in a in a civic standpoint or locally just in an individual personal standpoint and so this phase of the series we're in um, has to do with remnant and things sort of left behind. And and we discussed on two weeks ago on a ghost story, uh, which is a really strong ethereal kind of piece about the connection to geographic place and mm. the disruption therein. And really read all I'm doing right now is just sort of springboarding this hopefully into maybe some conversation. What's interesting about juxtaposing stir of echoes and the changeling is it made me think about place as status and as position in a, in a, in a society mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and disruption associated with that, you know, like in a ghost story, you've got disruption associated with physical, physical place, right. You know, just right. Sort of right. Connection to an attachment to, and this one, uh, or rather in changeling with John Russell, his, station and status afford him connection and even the ear of Carmichael, uh, mm-hmm. in this, uh, Tom's station and status is in upheaval and what that does and how that propels him for good or ill. Um, I mean, you know, on a certain level for good, because he's sort of able to save the day as it were, but, you know, potentially for ill because of the obsessive way it propels him. Um, and so I, I just kind of, wanted to maybe dwell in that a little bit of, you know, the, the nature of disruption and place. And, and, you know, I think in my understanding, at least for, you know, and to the knowledge I have for you read and even myself, like generally speaking, we are sort of economically and just sort of status wise, if you will, surviving in the moment we're in, but plenty of people are not. And, 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 you know, kind of what, what and how upheaval affects and propels us into sometimes obsessive, even if positive action, you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Um, so again, I, I don't know if that lights off anything for anybody, or if that's just sort of a note to, to sort of acknowledge and, and, and move into something else, but that's sort of what was sparked by putting this against changeling. Sure, sure. Um, Noel, I'll I'll defer to you as our guest if you have some uh, responsive thoughts. If not, I I can take the baton. I'll let you dive in first. Go ahead. Um, 
So I do find it really interesting, uh, particularly, you know, we made comment about, uh, you know, John Russell as a as a person, you know, he clearly has the status and, and import to be able to rent a mansion for him to stay in, you know, at, at his leisure. And Kevin Bacon's individual, like one of the things I love about that moment, and you mentioned that you referenced earlier when he finds out she's pregnant and so then says bummer. Mm-hmm. What I like about what the film does at that moment is it doesn't then pivot over into you're useless, you don't want a kid because you have all these big ambitions and everything. Because he then comes in. I love that scene. Explain, yeah, it's a wonderful scene. Explains that's one of those moments that sometimes I I ding on and I say and I look at it and I'm like that's a real marriage conversation. That's Mm -hmm. not a fabricated marriage conversation. That's that's a real conversation between husband and wife because there's a lot of give and take in it. There's there's some history that's alluded to, but he comes in after the fact after having responded to her pregnancy news with bummer, and then reminding say no, this is great. I'm excited. You know this is wonderful. And then when he tells her and reminds her about what he was potentially planning and why this news is disruptive to that. She's sympathetic to that. She's yeah. like, oh, I did, you know, and, you know, obviously they can't change the fact that they're going to have another child, but but that's that's still, she's sympathetic to that him in that moment, and it sparks for him this notion of, and I just love that line so much. I mean, it's a little devastating, but he's like, I didn't want to be famous. I just, ex- just didn't expect to be so ordinary. Yeah. And well, and, and, a, and if I can add to that right before that, sure, he says, sure. I wasn't just giving you a line back then. This is real yeah. pathos laden moment of him yeah. just reflecting on their time. Go ahead. Absolutely. Please. Which is why when it has its return in his emotional meltdown, when he's digging in the in the backyard to try to find a solution to this mystery or try to discover what it is that he's being compelled by these spirits to pursue. Um, and he has this meltdown about like, this is the most important thing I've ever done in my life. And I do feel like in this conversation about, and Nathan, I don't know if this was precisely where you were going or, or how fruitful this will be, but I do feel like there is a moment that we're in right now that I'll say it this way for the sake of honesty and brevity. There's a lot of debate going on right now about whether or not we need to send everybody back to work so that everything can get back up and running. And I do know that as people and persons, there's a lot of attachment, necessary attachment, I'm not minimizing it, necessary attachment um, to, uh, and we've talked about this in different contexts on the show before, about how we tend to think that we are what we do. And and we uh, we want to express our identity in what we are capable of accomplishing. And when that is inhibited to mm-hmm. any degree, mm-hmm. we lose our sense of self. Yes. Because if I can't, if I can't do, if I can't transact, if I can't perform, then who am I? If I if I cannot achieve, um, you know this this thing, then I don't know who I am anymore or how I fit into uh, this whole space of thing. And uh, and so I do find a tremendous amount of pathos and uh, in what Kevin Bacon is experiencing. But looking at the moment that we're in, I was having a, a heartfelt conversation with a friend uh, actually just earlier this week, uh, somewhat unexpected. We were just catching up and then it pivoted into heavier things, which, as Nathan knows all too well, is a common experience for talking with Reed. That's what happens. It's like, listen, Reed, I just called to get your opinion on the movie. And now here we are unpacking deep philosophical things. Um, but for me, 
I, I, I talked about my own personal sense of my place right now. Um, I am thankfully still employed. Um, though we have seen an impact, I'm grateful to, to still be employed and, um, and, and thinking about how that pivoted over into my relationship with my wife and child and ultimately my relationship with the Lord. And it began a conversation. Maybe this is where you were scratching at, Nathan. If not, this is what it sparked in me of how transactional so much of my definitions for that are. Um, that I think about transactional metrics for, exactly how it is I define my relationships. Um, I have spent time with my wife. We sat down on the couch and we watched this movie or we, you know, it's, it's, it's task oriented. Um, and we don't, and we so easily sort of get saturated in thinking about our lives and contextualizing our relationships in, again, these give and take these, um, I can't find a better word than transactional. This, I do a thing to get a thing. I uh, take an action to produce a result, something like that. And when all of that pauses, as for so many people it is right now, when all of that momentarily ceases, it is this strange, nebulous mentality where we no longer, (laughs) it's like we don't know what to do with ourselves and we keep trying to push to find something to put meaning in uh, to something that we are doing. I'll, I'll mention this and then I'll shut up and invite more responses um, that there was a, a cartoon that I saw that I thought it, it's one of my, it stayed with me. I glanced, I scrolled by it just once on social media and it has stuck with me because I think it is so profound. A lot of people have said in the early parts of this pandemic, well, great, take up a new hobby. Now's the time to finish that novel, do something creative, <laughs> you know, do, do all of these uh, fun, clever, inventive things during this time. And this cartoon, which I think is pretty profound and, and a little funny is of a man in a rowboat, I wouldn't even be able to find it if I tried to find it, but is a man in a rowboat and one of his oars is broken. So he's got half an oar sitting there. The boat is leaking. There's already like fish, you know, jumped into the, to the boat that he's sitting in. Sharks are hovering around the boat. There's a hurricane in the distance. Lightning is striking nearby. And he looks up and has a thought bubble that says, is now the time to finish my novel? Wow. <laughs> like talking about the chaos that's moving yeah, on around. Right. And instead of taking in your surroundings, always feeling that drive and that push to, I have to produce. I've got to, I've got to do something. I can't be ordinary. I can't be passive. I can't just be. I have to be doing something. And that's just some of what your thought process there, Nathan, has, has sparked in me in this. No, um, that's Noel, yeah. great. Or, yeah. Go ahead, Noel. Yeah, I, I think that things that both of you have said, I'm connecting, and I see this film connecting to what we're all experiencing to some form or fashion. And, um, you know, with Tom's character, there was some spark that had to happen in him that, forced him to dig, physically dig, but to dig deeper to find meaning mm, mm, and to find purpose. Mm, that's good. And um, I think a lot of us are trying to experience some aspect of that now. We're asking ourselves, you know, what if my job that I had before does not bring me back in the capacity that I was working? Right. Or right. what if it does not bring me back at all? 
um, I'm going to have to dig deeper to find what my new meaning and what my new purpose could be. Mm. So I think uh, and I, another aspect of, of what I see is um, there are times that things happen that what we see on the surface is really not what's going on down below. We don't see what's happening below. And you know, some people put on a brave face. Mm. Uh, some people um, put on a deceitful face. I mean, you right. know, in the, in the movie, uh, you know, the, the villains of the film, they seemed like, the, you know, the, the, the friends next door. But you find right. out, mm. spoiler alert, that, that <laughs> they are not who they say they are. Right. Uh, they have literally uh, hidden, you know, buried their secrets, uh, you know, in a basement yeah, somewhere. Absolutely. So um, I, I think I think as we think through this time and, and, and hopefully as we think back on this time that we can look at what positives did we gain out of this through new friendships, through family interactions, through uh, working through things together that maybe we didn't think we could work through right, together. Right. Uh, or maybe finding a way to find the answer to something that is eluding us, mm. uh, no matter what that may be. And in the film, Stir of Echoes, there was this uh, answer that he didn't even know the question to. Oh, um, right. And so I think uh, during this time, there are a lot of times that, that we don't even know the right questions to ask. So we can't, you know, how can we find the answers if we don't even know what we're asking? Yeah. Yeah. And I, this is all stirring. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting to note that kind of in the context of the film, uh, Reed, you, you alluded to the kind of, voice of of the air right now uh, push go back in go back in push keep the mm -hmm. boulder moving you know regardless of who it runs over and yes. um even in the film you've got tom i love that imagery that i must admit from my uh, kind of dumb moment wasn't registering for me the way it did the way you just described it noel of the dig you know like like mm you have to go inward or downward or, or recede in order to find that purpose in order to fashion meaning. And interestingly, Maggie ultimately comes around of course, but juxtaposing a Tom who feels like he's in the pause that we're trying to sort of right. honor and acknowledge and, and point to and everyone else around him saying, no, 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 it's fine. Just stop. Just keep doing the thing. Like, you're fine. Ignore. Look the other way. Keep going. You know, rinse. Do this. It's it's. There's a lot of socioeconomic wrapped up in what's happening around him. You know, mm -hmm. um, and and I think a lot of that is playing out, uh, kind of culturally as well. Which is those who are less affected are saying, "You're fine. It's fine. Let's do this." And right without right. really sort of taking that pause, taking that breath, digging deep to assess, okay, p you know, even Tom, who's on uh, what I think the movie kind of positions as is not, uh, he's blue collar, you know, it's, it's socioeconomically, sure, yeah, he's blue collar, whereas he's renting from someone who clearly isn't, is a little higher for, in station. Um, but you get to the bottom of this and he finds someone even lower on the totem pole than where he is, which is this, nebbish kind of girl who gets abused and, and, and murdered for mm -hmm. just being in the wrong place at the wrong time by right. people 
who would rather it just go away. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have a, a bow to put on it so much as just some interesting, um, <laughs> try not to use the word echoes, but it's right there. Um, <laughs> stuff that's happening there. So no, I, I think, I think it's, it's well-placed. Yeah. And let's not forget the, so first of all, I, and I didn't mention this earlier, but it, it, it means to, it needs to be said that it's it's remarkable in a film like this that he is a renter. He's not a homeowner. I mean, like how many how many films do you see where it's just like, oh yeah, this is the house we bought, even though I you know grow alligators or something, and then my wife is a musician or you know some random like that's random occupations that will not make a ton of money. Sure. You know, like but but I bought this you know. 12 bedroom house in the whatever but uh, I do think it's remarkable that he is a renter and and I also think that's key to the theme the the other thing that I would like to connect and and maybe this would be my final sort of thesis on the moment is I w- I was really uh, haunted is a feels like a jokey word in this context but uh I was really kind of uh put back a little bit as Coming out of the hypnosis, he's interrogating a bit of, well, what did you do to me? He's, he's talking to the sister and he's like, well, you know, what, what happened? And he's like, did you leave a post hypnotic suggestion or something like that? And she's like, it's just a little one anyway. Like, did it work? And then what she tells him is remarkable to me. She says, I, I opened a door. I just, I opened a door. And it was funny because. In this moment, what's connecting is the reason this crime is covered up. If you've never seen this film, we've actually managed to stay relatively spoiler-free, but uh, but I, I will affect a little bit of that right now to say that the central conceit of this is that um, there, there is someone who has become victim. Nathan mentioned earlier this, this sort of uh, nebbish girl. Um, she's become a victim, and she's been buried in the house that he's renting. And part of their reason for doing that is as expressed by that one neighbor father is this is a decent neighborhood. Like what were we supposed to do? This is a decent neighborhood Were we supposed to just let everything. And so here you have people who intentionally not just closed a door, they brick walled it up. Like Mm -hmm. they just, they just completely like shoved it up and said, no, we're going to hide this. We're going to shut the door on this conversation, shut the door on this occurrence. We're going to, quite literally pretend this never happened absolutely it never happened and then what happens to this poor unsuspecting man this ordinary man is he stumbles into someone who opens a door and that that's what happens is is i opened a door and i feel like there are so many things in so many different ways that we can look at our own personal histories our national histories, our local histories, um, our relational histories, all of those different things, and the, the ways in which we have put a lot of effort into closing doors and brick-walling them up and not, Noel, to what you were talking about earlier, not digging in and finding out who we are and what we're about and, and assessing ourselves in the light of things. And moments like this for good or ill, may not drive us to have to produce that thing, or, or, or they don't have to drive us to those ends, but maybe if we'll let them, they can open a door, and mm, they can begin to allow for an opportunity for things to begin to, for, for these echoes to, and I, I, being intentionally a bit punny, but for these echoes yeah. to begin to be stirred up in us again, to make connections, and 
I love so much for a number of reasons. The final shot of the film where they're loading up a van and Maggie and Tom are moving away clearly from this house. There's some trouble in this neighborhood. Okay. So they're moving away and uh, it's not the very final shot of the film, but it's, it's to me, it's kind of the natural final moment of the movie. Um, the movie ends on a kind of a point towards another scare or whatever, but it closes in, the camera closes in on that moving van and they're walking back and forth, presumably picking up boxes and loading the van. But as they cross at one point, their arms link, yeah. but they, yeah. but they don't like hug or hold. Mm-hmm. There's a link and then there's just a passing their arms link and they kind of like graze by each other in this really lovely and elegant sort of mm-hmm. display of affection. And I thought, man, that's just, you know, all of these things, again, are just kind of culminating. You know, maybe a door is opened in this season that we have tried very hard for a long time to to brick wall it up. And are we going to be able to grasp it? Are we going to be able to, you know, understand now is the moment for me to do that next big thing or now is the moment for me to redefine myself? Maybe not. But maybe now is a moment to be able to graze by some of those connections that otherwise were fraught and tense. Maybe now is a, t- a chance with this door open to begin to dig a little bit deeper, see something beyond the ordinary, and find something to uh, to hold on tight to in that context. Um, I-, I feel like we're close uh, to maybe winding down, but Noel, as our guest, and and uh, because Nathan and I have, have talked for quite a bit, I want to I don't want to leave this part of the conversation if there was something else that you had on your heart or mind to say um, it, if not, that's fine. But if you have anything else that you'd like to interject, I invite you to do so now before we kind of close things down. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I think uh, also um, we sometimes miss out on the signs. Uh, you know, there are plenty of times that Tom was seeing all of these signs and, and these lights and things that were read that were trying to direct him to something mm. And he wasn't getting it. And I, that goes back to what you were talking about. He wasn't quite opened up enough to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And, um, you know, the symbolisms of the color red, uh, you know, that tied to the to um, Samantha's jacket, mm. which I didn't think about until later. Yeah. Um, there was a theme of water, a cleansing mm. Mm. that ran throughout this film. <laughs> And that stuck with me. And you, you know, you saw it in the rain. You saw it in the bathtub. You saw it in the sink. Um, you know, so many times there was this theme of water that, um, or this this symbolism of water that just kind of tied to an ultimate cleansing that happened. Yeah, uh, a cleansing certainly. of justice and truth um, that that poured out mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, onto the streets, literally onto the streets, <laughs> right. Uh, right of of this uh, this place. So. Yeah, it, it's a film that I, I think that um, has a lot of messages, a lot of things we can think about and take from it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I think we'll leave it there for the moment and and pivot over into our very specific metric that we uh, do on every episode. And that is the fog meter, where we rate these films or these pieces of media that we cover by uh, fear and God, uh, its scares and its substance. Noel, as our uh, guest, I'm going to invite you to give your count one through ten, uh, actually zero through ten, if that's applicable, um, <laughs> for uh, Stir of Echoes, directed by David Kep, uh, based on the book by Richard Matheson. Uh, what would you give it for fear? I'm going to give it an eight. All right. And do I need to give you a reason why? At your or? discretion. It's up to you. 
Um, I, I think because it reminds me that sometimes uh, we miss the thing that's right in front of us um, because we're not digging deep enough. Mm-hmm. And then that's a, a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we also uh, are sometimes those who um, seem the most normal and the most kind and compassionate uh, might be just you know putting on a facade mm, yeah that you need to get a jackhammer and <laughs> take, it take it all down um, Nathan what would you give it um I think I'm gonna go for a six um, I think a subsequent viewing may do a little more for my appreciation but this initial time there were several jump scares which were solid um, and and like I said, I do think the uh, hypnosis, initial hypnosis sequence, and even the subsequent one, the second one, those are those are strong. I mean, those are really well executed mm. sequences overall. Uh, as a as a as a whole, it didn't leave me kind of you know in in a particular way in terms of scary movie and that sort of thing. So uh, six, I think, is what I just said. Sure. Uh, I'm actually going to split the difference. I'm going to give this movie a seven. Um, I feel like it's got some pretty effective jolt moments. Um, I'm more interested in the story than I am frightened by it, uh, but I do enjoy it uh, quite a bit for that measurement. Now, the God meter or its substance uh, is a little trickier for me to unpack because I think most of what I would give this film unqualified credit for is the things based around the characterization of Tom and the journey he goes through in the film. It's plot, maybe not as much. It's uh, it's subsequent supporting characters, also maybe not as much. But for what Tom goes through and for who he is as a character in general, uh, I think I'm going to give this film a six on the God meter. Um, Nathan, what about for you? Um, <laughs> I love when I have to just think about him and figure out exactly how how you know whatever to be um yeah i think i think to me the standout elements are more the perform this a strong performance and a couple well executed production design elements um i just i'll I'll, i will join you my friend at a six all right for stir of echoes on the god factor all right no what about you sir Yep. Well, I'm I'm evidently on a learning curve with your whole <laughs> meter system. No, you're, it um, is it is your sort of uh, it is your discernment that yep. gets you okay. there. Well, I'm going to give it a nine. All right, uh, do it. And and the reason I'm giving it as a nine is because um, I believe that truth will always find a way to be uncovered. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. even in, in the most unexpected ways, and justice will prevail in time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not our time. But in the right time. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the nine on the God meter for me. Awesome. That means that our official fog meter measurement, we give Stir of Echoes, directed by David Kep, a seven out of ten on the fog meter. So that is a uh, a pretty a pretty strong showing for a film that a lot of people uh, really enjoy and praise as a kind of an understated classic, living in the shadow of the film that was released at same year. But the more important and more pertinent question is. Noel, I'm going to come to you first with a very simple, would you recommend Stir of Echoes to our listeners that they go check it out? Oh, absolutely. I would I would recommend it, but I would uh, say that probably the biggest lesson learned for me is uh, 
never to get hypnotized by someone who is unlicensed. <laughs> that is probably the uh, biggest lesson that I learned from this movie. It's probably a good takeaway. Fair enough. Uh, Nathan, would you recommend Stir of Echoes? I think so. Um, Bacon's performance is great mm-hmm. and kind of worth the viewing alone. I think for me personally, the weight of 20 years and having it be in my knowledge and radar and conversation for that 20 years kind of worked against it in Mm -hmm. the viewing. Um, so maybe it's a recommendation for me to give it another try, uh, and, and without some of that pressure attached to it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely, um, I'm going to juxtapose this with my changeling, which was very half hearted. Um, with this one, I would say, Hey, if you're just looking for something to watch, uh, this is worth your time. So not yeah, just sure. for the horror fan, but for the casual movie fan as well. It's worth that time. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to echo some recommendations. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do it that time. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to echo the recommendations that, yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Kevin Bacon's performance is galvanizing, almost worth the watching of the film uh, on its own merits. But I do think it's an effective little thriller. Um, I think it is worth your time. And I, I, I haven't said this for it something that I say uh, very, very often, but I do think it's accessible. So if you're looking for something that's not, yeah. not yeah. too graphic, uh, do be warned. There's uh there is an implied moment. Uh, and I say implied, it actually happens in the film, but an implied moment of uh, sexual assault, but I feel like it's not exploitatively filmed. Um, it's, it's done in such a way that's harrowing, but not uh, in a way that, uh, that would be terrible as terribly upsetting as certain other versions that we've seen. So it's pretty accessible film and I think it's an effective thriller and I think uh, it's easy to recommend. So, so yes, there you have it. There is our conversation about Stir of Echoes. And uh, Noel, thank you so very much. First thank of all, you, friends. For having us on your show again. Thank you for coming and officially joining the Fear of God family. We really, really appreciate it. This has been a fun conversation. Hope you've enjoyed yourself. Oh, this was awesome. Thank you guys so much for the time. And uh, I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll have to do this again. Um, so listeners, next week we are going to be rounding the corner, not quite closing the series down yet but we're going to be rounding the corner. You're going to need to check out episodes seven and eight of HBO's TV series, The Leftovers, season one. Episodes seven and eight of season one of The Leftovers. And also check out the only film that I know of uh, in this category, uh, the only Persian horror film that I'm aware of. Uh, It's available as of this recording on Netflix. Check out Under the Shadow. Um, Be warned, it's scary. <laughs> so just be ready for that. Um, and then in the meanwhile, a big thank you again to Noel. Uh, a- as always, Nathan, a very big thank you to you for having this conversation with me. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we invite you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next time. See you next week, guys. Bye. Noel, thank you. Thank you. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, 
to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.